G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Let me just ask you quickly, you're a human rights lawyer. You're also heading up Amnesty International's crisis campaign in this sense. You're coordinating this. You're based in Victoria. These two Australians who are on death row, Myram Sukumaran and Andrew Chan, how serious is Amnesty International taking their plight at this moment? Um, we're taking not only um, their plight extremely seriously, but the plight of um, um, others that um, are at imminent risk of execution as well. Um, you know, we have um, elevated this campaign to our highest level of crisis, and we have a uh, cross organisation dedicated to campaigning for the rights of not only these two Australians, but all those others within Indonesia who are at risk of imminent execution. So, extremely seriously. Okay, the dismissal of Sukumaran and Chan's final clemency appeals uh, with President Joko Widodo, uh, they've added to the urgency, haven't they? Because there appears to be no more opportunity to uh, to win clemency any other way. Exactly, and and that um, coupled with um, the fact the fact that um, this current presidency has resumed executions like two weeks ago six people were executed um, and you know that also adds to the imminency and you know the we've been working closely with not only the families of of these two um, but with also with the legal counsel team and they've been working tirelessly to try to see what other avenues of, of appeal are available and they do have a case review pending at the moment um, but as we've seen from the previous cases that that doesn't really um, stop them from continuing and going ahead with the executions. Now, there is a changing weight of opinion uh, worldwide about the issue of capital punishment. And uh, I know you've been talking about the changes that have happened over the past 30 years. Is Indonesia a little behind the game when it comes to the weight of opinion as to how nations respond to capital punishment? Absolutely. The global trend shows that, you know, when Amnesty International started campaigning on this, um, you know, there were only like 16 countries that had abolished um, capital punishment and now over 140 countries have. So it goes to show that there is a global trend away from the death penalty and capital punishment. And those countries that continue to have it, um, you know, and whatever line that they take to try to justify um, it just it doesn't stand up, and numerous research and reports have shown that, particularly in this case, where the government's line is that it's a, a deterrence for drug-related offences, it just doesn't stand up. There, it, it does not um, capital punishment and the death penalty just does not deter drug-related offences, and it doesn't stand up um, against within amongst um, those who advocate for international human rights norms as well. And we do see this as a worrying trend, and they're not in good company on this.
This word deterrent uh, is an important one, isn't it? Because this is where our attitudes uh, can be able to swing one way or another because it's evidence that capital punishment actually is a deterrent uh, that really uh, causes us to think whether it should be useful or whether or not. Uh, What you're saying is uh, that there is no evidence or little evidence that capital punishment is a deterrent for these sorts of crimes. Exactly, and we've maintained this line and Amnesty International has been campaigning on this for the, for the last 30 years. And, you know, everyone agrees that crime is bad and we need to stop it. This is sensible and it's logical in every way. But the question here is, do we need the death penalty to be tough on crime? And their answer simply is no. The fact remains that there is no credible evidence that the death penalty deters serious crime more effectively than any other punishments. And, and the, the fact is, as well, that state-sanctioned killing only serves to endorse the use of force and to continue the cycle of violence. OK, we are talking about two Australians here, Myram Sukumaran and Andrew Chan. Uh, their final clemency appeals, uh, they have been dismissed by the new Indonesian president, Joko Widodo. Uh, here in Australia, the only thing we can do, I guess, uh, and this appears to be what you're uh, leaning towards, is there needs to be a public outcry. How do people do that? You've got some vigils planned. How would listeners to our conversation now respond in the way that you're calling them to? Exactly. And, you know, we, we've been campaigning on this death, the death penalty since 1977. And, and we know that um, we can make a difference. And the Australian public needs to get out and demonstrate that not only are we against the death penalty, but that we are against it because our citizens are facing imminent risk of execution. And if it's not these two, it, could, it will be more. Um, in the future potentially and Amnesty International are organising these candlelight vigils being to be held across the country um, and we really encourage everyone to go onto our website, go onto our Facebook page and see where they're being held in your respective cities and get out and show your support because campaigning and public outcry does work. Um, the Attorney General for in Indonesia came out very unequivocally and stated that he, you know, the, the, it wouldn't affect relationships with Australia, that he'd only received 100 letters from people in opposition to this move, and that, you know, the death penalty seems to, um, you know, people are split 50-50 in favour and against the death penalty in Australia. Now, look, we've evolved to a point um, as a nation where, you know, we, we have to stand up and voice our concerns for not only our own citizens, but others who are at imminent risk. And I urge everyone to go onto our websites and come along to those vigils in your respective states. Diana, you know that listening into our conversation now, primarily a Christian audience around Australia, but more than 600 cities, towns and communities, the sorts of events that I've seen that Amnesty International is planning, primarily capital city type events, is there room for people in country areas, regional cities, even outback towns to actually run their own vigil to draw attention to this detail? Oh, of course. Um, we have um, vigils being held in Byron Bay, in Newcastle, in Newcastle, in Wagga Wagga. We've got some some happening in Margaret River. We have um, groups and activists all over the country who really want to participate and campaign um, on this um, issue. And, um, you know, we urge everyone, again, to go onto our website and see where they're being held in your respective states 
all around Australia. And, and this applies to not only just capital cities. And, you know, for all those Christian groups and all those other groups around Australia, just to know that we are seeking mercy for these two and those others, not only because they... Um, you know, we're not we're advocating against the death penalty and for these sentences to be commuted to life imprisonment. And that's a really important distinction to make and to go out and show the public outcry on this. And we can make a difference because where there's life, there's hope. Uh, we've been seeing the news reports. Uh, you'd have to be blind not to see what's been going on on our screens. Uh, two Australians at risk, and this is an imminent risk that they could be executed. Uh, just how urgent uh, ought we be in the way we respond to this issue? Absolutely. This is the, the imminent risk. We haven't been given a, a, a set time frame but all the representations in the media that have been coming out of um, Indonesia, particularly from the Attorney General, have indicated that they are wanting to forge ahead with this as soon as possible. He gave us a very rough deadline that within the next two weeks they would be executed. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't do it sooner than that. And they are actually trying to get it them executed sooner than the two-week time frame that they've given us. So it could happen any day. And once they're taken into solitary confinement, they're given their last religious rights and are able to say good farewell to their families, but that's it. And the last batch weren't even afforded the 72 hours. They were um, taken into solitary on Friday morning and executed at midnight Saturday night. So we really don't have time in our favour. Well, Diana, just drawing attention to those vigils that you've got planned and uh, people will need to check the Amnesty International website uh, to see where those vigils are in New South Wales, South Australia, the ACT in Queensland, Tasmania and Victoria. They're being planned for next week and uh, just to stress, these are planned to be peaceful uh, gatherings. Uh, Sydney's Town Hall, Newcastle's Civic Park, uh, King George Square in Brisbane, Federation Square in Melbourne. Uh, check out the Amnesty International site uh, for more details about those. Diana Syed, a human rights lawyer and Amnesty International's crisis campaign coordinator. Diana, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, share these things with us today on 2020. You are on 2020. It's Neil Johnson in the hot seat with you this hour and uh, introducing our special guest, Dr. Gordon Priest. Uh, through the remainder of this hour, opening the talkback lines, you're welcome to be a part of our conversation. We're talking about the two Australians, Myron Sukumaran uh, and uh, Andrew Chan, two Aussies who are imminently facing execution in Bali. And so today, tackling uh, what is a significant and uh, confronting, uh, sometimes complicated issue uh, when it comes to the death penalty. And uh, what does the Bible say about that? You might have your own perspectives, and uh, there is a division uh, along lines uh, in the Christian community. Some support uh, the death penalty, others don't. Uh, you might like to call in with your say. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Uh, Dr. Gordon Priest, Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. Hello, Gordon. Welcome back to 2020. Gordon, are you with us? Yes. Hi. Gordon, uh, great to talk to you again, and I know you've been following the case of what's happening with these two guys uh, up in Bali, uh, Myron Sukumaran and Andrew Chan, uh, and I guess there are Christians who are going to be saying, well, this is a complicated issue. Uh, what do we think about when we talk about a biblical position on this issue? Uh, is there an easy answer? 
Well, I think um, it's not an easy answer, but I think overall, um, I, I think there's, there's a clear answer by taking the whole Bible into account. Um, I can remember in my 20s, I think I did uphold capital punishment um, at that stage. My wife didn't, but um, I don't know whether she took me out of it or what. But I think uh, as, as I, I think studied the Bible more closely, um, I think it wasn't a case of just focusing on, on a passage like Genesis 9, which talks about life for life after the time of Noah. Um, it wasn't just looking at, say, capital punishment through the Old Testament, the fact that that was allowed for numerous sorts of crimes. Um, and it wasn't just looking at Romans 13, that the state is allowed the sword. It For me, um, and I can understand, you know, people upholding capital punishment on the basis of those things. But I think when you set that in the context of the overall movement and development of the Bible, the Bible isn't a flat book. You've got to look at it moving towards its goal. And I think that looking at that, um, what we find is that humanity, every human being is made in God's image. Every every person is, is sacred in that sense. An image is a thing you put in the temple. You know, there's a sacred... Um, object isn't the right word, but sacred person, and each human being represents God. We can't just write them off, no matter how bad they may seem or, or what particular things that they have done. Um, then I think what you get is there's a build-up after the fall and after sin comes in, there's violence spreading, and you get, in the case of Lamech in Genesis 4, this is just after Cain and Abel, he talks about being avenged 70 times 7, even upon a young man, a, a teenager. And then you've got violence spreading all over the world. And so what goes on in, in Genesis 9 in talking about life for life, that's talking about the maximum. It's, that's not talking about... Uh, it, it's talking about trying to minimise the amount of violence, the kind of unlimited violence in the world that led to ultimately... Um, Scripture says to the flood. And then you get a movement that goes through Scripture. For instance, the eye for an eye in, in relationship to some of the Old Testament laws, it was never, it was never literal like it is say, in Islam today. That was never taken literally. It was a poetic kind of way of describing fitting justice. But that fitting justice always allowed for, for mercy as well. Um, one of the problems that we have is that a lot of people want to go from passages in the Old Testament that are what we call civil law. And for Christians today, those passages no more bind Christians today than the kind of ritual law and, and uh, food laws in the Old Testament. Jesus basically said, well, they don't count as much. It's what comes from the inside that, that counts. Well, Gordon, um, we'll ask listeners to call in, be a part of our conversation. Uh-huh. Uh, tremendous points you're making there, and if we can enlarge on those as we go. But we'll take some calls. Uh, Ian from Horsham is on the line. Hello, Ian. Uh, welcome along to 2020. No, I don't have Ian. Uh, we'll come back to Ian shortly. Uh, we do have Ian. Okay, hello, Ian. Yes, yes, you got me there. Ian, uh, sorry about that, uh, but great to have your contribution on to 2020 today. What is your thought when it comes to uh, this issue, capital punishment, two Aussies on death row? Well, unfortunately, there are people who are always prepared to to, uh, put money before care. Uh, I think we must enjoy some empathy for the families 
that suffer from the drug abuse and the death of loved ones. We see it on television all the time. Now, my opinion is that if they're guilty beyond any doubt that they tried to make money or take advantage of innocent people, they should be taken away and put down. You can't keep building jails and... uh, and uh, containers as they're having to do because there's so many in jail. Ian, let me ask you, is there any room for mercy in the position you're uh, taking here on uh, capital punishment and uh, these two Aussies? No, I don't believe so, because they they knew what they were doing and it had evidently been done before. Um, But my point of view is that... If animals, uh, stud herd gets foot and mouth disease, or an orchard gets fire blight, or, or fire ants in Brisbane take over a suburb, there's no hesitation in putting the animals down to protect the. Uh, but we are society. talking about human beings here, Ian. Is there uh, is there any difference between animals and human beings? Well. Yes, because a lot of, like a, a dog uh, that's bred to kill, like pit bulls, uh, they do it from instinct. Uh, these people are not selling drugs from instinct. They're, they're doing getting into the drug t- trade to benefit their own lifestyle and to make money at other people's... Oh, Ian, Ian if, I can, if I can interrupt, um, these, these guys were... Early twenties, some in their, some were even in their teen, teenage years, in amongst the group of nine. They were, they were young men. Like you know, didn't didn't you do some stupid things when you were young? I know I certainly did. And the people people do things. They have very little consciousness about the long range conscious um, consequences of their actions. Um, I've I've worked with lots of people who are homeless. I've worked with people who who are heroin users. And what often happens is that people who are who are basically, who are selling heroin? People who sell heroin are often users themselves. They are often victims themselves. They, it's they're people who get caught up in a whole kind of cycle. Now these guys may have gone for some get rich quick kind of scheme, but in in a, a stupid moment. But the evidence is that these two are utterly rehabilitated. They're actually they've actually been converted to Christianity. But they've also, there's no kind of late deathbed kind of repentance or, or get out of jail card. They've helped re- protect, rehabilitate other people. There's a whole full page on the Sunday Age um, on just last Sunday um, talking about one, one boy in the US now. He's back with his mother. She's a fairly hardened social worker. And she recognised that these guys um, have just been miracle workers in the life of her son, who was also jailed in Bali with them. And they basically have saved this guy. And the evidence of the rehabilitation and the restorative role of justice is, is there. You know, I've, I've visited people in jail and have seen the enormous change in, in some cases of people who have, who have actually, and, and I'm thinking of one particular case of a person who was convicted of, of murder, um, and and uh, this particular person, I, I won't name that, they now have a doctorate. They have worked incredibly hard. I've read 
you know, their account of what they did and how they came to realise the consequences of it and how they came to realise the damage they had done to that person and their, and their family, etc. And and hopefully in a couple of years, they'll actually be released in the community. And I'm, I'm confident they'll make an outstanding member of the community. Um, but... You know, we there has to be a place. Certainly, in in the Bible, there is a there is a huge place for mercy. Jesus talks about seventy times seven forgiveness. In the case of a capital crime, with the the woman caught in adultery in John nine, he says, and she's she's caught. Um, you had to have two eyewitnesses in in biblical times. And we don't we don't have those kinds of standards with our capital cases. You know, and we and lots of cases they're proved to be wrong. Now, in this case, in this case, these guys were proved to be guilty, but it's it what they did doesn't still deserve the death penalty. Well, I want to thank Ian from Horsham. Ian, uh, great to hear your comments today here on 2020, and our talkback line remains open. 1-800-316-316. If you have a comment, what are your thoughts? on this issue of capital punishment. Two Australians on death row imminently facing the firing squad uh, for their crime. And uh, you've heard the words of Dr Gordon Priest, how these guys have rehabilitated. Do they deserve the death penalty? Uh, You can be a part of our conversation. You may take one way or the other. Uh, The talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. We're talking about what Christians think about capital punishment. It's Neil with you on 2020. The talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. To comment on our topic of conversation today, a Christian response to the idea of capital punishment. Two Aussies on death row in Indonesia. Their uh, execution by firing squad uh, could be imminent. And our special guest uh, fielding some calls this hour, Dr. Gordon Priest, is the director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. Gordon, let's continue to take some calls. Murray is on the line from Adelaide. Hello, Murray. Yes. Murray, what is your uh, thought? What's your contribution to our conversation today? My contribution is the same uh, as... um Minister there is talking because he said God has forgiven all of us. And if he forgave us so many times in small ways, he forgave them when he was on the cross, even to the one that crucified him, which was a big deal. How much more must we in things stand up for justice and ask for them to be released? I'm not asking them to be released from jail. I'm just asking them to be released from death penalty so that they are witness to many of them uh, God can work in miracles and change, can even change the president in that country. Well, Murray, I want to thank uh-huh. you so much. Uh, your thoughts, uh, Gordon, quickly. Uh, I think Murray's right right uh, on track. And I just think of the words of Jesus from the cross, which I've often thought of the, the greatest words ever, which was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I, I think these guys didn't know what they were doing in, right. in, in lots of ways. But... Um, you know, Christ looks on them with those merciful eyes and those scarred hands and, uh, and wants to embrace them with his, with his love and grace. Murray, thank you so much for your call. Let's take a call from Charles on the Gold Coast. Charles, your thoughts? Hello. Charles, what are your thoughts on capital punishment? Oh, we've lost Charles. Let's hear from Joe in Melbourne. Hello, Joe. Welcome along. Joe, are you with us? Joe, what are your thoughts on uh, on this topic of conversation today about capital punishment? Well, I um, uh, let me just give you a bit of background. I, I've been a Christian for for about six months now. I've, I've, I've recently converted, and um, 
I, uh, you'll forgive my, my relatively infantile uh, understanding of the Bible. I'm still sort of, you know, studying as we speak. Uh, but I'm struggling as a, as a Christian to, to, to kind of reconcile the whole situation. Like in my personal opinion regarding the death penalty is that it's wrong uh, about killing someone. But, but the way as a Christian that I'm trying to, uh, you know, get a biblical opinion about the matter is, is where I'm struggling because I know that there's, um, like the prevailing message of Jesus generally in the Bible is of, of mercy and of love. And, um, and by the same token, um, uh, there are other messages in the Bible. I'm unable to actually give you the references as such, but there's other passages in the Bible that allude to the fact of, um, of observing, observing the laws of the land that you're living in at that current moment in time. Um, and, and so, so I'm sort of in that, in that, in that caught in two minds there, whether, whether, whether these guys should face, you know, the, the penalty when they've entered a country knowingly and committing a, an act which, which knowingly, uh, incurs the death penalty, or whether on the other side of the coin, as Jesus said, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. Oh, I can so hear your heartbeat, Charles. Let's hear from Gordon. Gordon, your thoughts on what Charles is sharing. Yeah, Charles. I think um, yeah, there are there are tensions, um, if you like, between different texts in in scripture. I think the best way to think of it is the Bible basically um, God reveals Himself gradually to people in in a way that they can cope with. So Calvin talks about God speaking to us like a like a nurse lisping for a child. You know, when we kind of almost goo and gah, you know, God comes down to our level. And God gradually reveals more and more. And so you start with a sort of limitation on that unlimited violence that was around. and But there are lots of hints of mercy in various stages in the Old Testament as you're building up. Um, and it's like um, towards the, the you know Christ revealing complete forgiveness 70 times 7. Now, you still have the role of the state. And Paul does talk about the state having a role in relationship to the sword. Now, that, um, that was, you know, the Roman government, basically, um, it was a... It was a lawful kind of regime, but it was a pretty brutal kind of regime. And Paul's basically describing it in that in that role, not letting Christians take violence into their own hands, etc. Et but that doesn't mean it's an approval of of capital punishment, um, particularly when most that most of the time these days it doesn't meet the biblical criteria of two eyewitnesses, for instance. And one thing I would say about these guys: did they really knowingly? Did they actually know that the, the, the possibility of a death sentence in terms of what they were doing? I think um, that's very unlikely that they were aware of that. And so I think there's that element of, of ignorance that always comes in, in relationship to issues of, of having mercy upon things that people do in their ignorance. Certainly they did deserve a, a, a punishment, a custodial sentence. Now they've been shown to be, certainly these two, to be utterly reformed. Um, you know, people are doing studies on them as case, cases of restorative justice and how they, what they've done in that prison could be spread around other prisons in, in Asia and Australia. So um, they certainly have shown the evidence of, of reform. So there's several kind of elements in justice. You know, there's getting your just desserts, there's a deterrent, and there's also the restorative aspect. And I think we need to kind of balance those those aspects of justice out as best we as best we can. And I think I owe an apology to you, Joe. I called you Charles 
Uh, no, Joe, <laughs> uh, look, I uh, want to thank you so much for being part of uh, 2020 today. Great to hear your perspective, sharing your heartbeat with us. And uh, you say you've been a Christian for around six months. Well, you know, uh, God's blessing on you as you grow in maturity. And uh, it's really great to hear your contribution today here on 2020. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Good to have you along with us on 2020. The Talkback line open 1-800-316-316, talking through the issues facing two Australians on death row, facing execution, Myron Sukumaran and Andrew Chan. We're talking about a biblical Christian view of how you approach this issue of capital punishment. Very complicated issue. A uh, little research that I'd been doing uh, just on how complicated this is uh, with a description that the uh, contents that we read from the Old Testament are often called uh, descriptive Bible content. In other words, those sorts of things that describe in a historical sense the state of things in Bible times without necessarily requiring it of believers today, then there is prescriptive Bible content that imparts an authoritative command or guideline for Christians in all eras. Uh, Our special guest, Dr. Gordon Priest, Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. Gordon, this is something of the heart of the way we understand things biblically because those things from the Old Testament uh, don't necessarily equate uh, when we have a New Testament example in Jesus himself. Yeah, well, I think um, the, pa- the passage that helps us interpret that is Matthew 19, where Jesus is asked by the Pharisees about divorce. And, and Jesus says that Moses permitted it because of your hardness of heart, um, that God's original purpose was one man, one wife for life. Now, I'm not trying to have a go at anyone in relationship to d- divorce there. It is, it is permitted in certain circumstances. But, um, but Jesus basically says there's a kind of hardness of heart or a damage... Um, harm minimization kind of approach in the Old Testament while we're waiting for the full revelation of God in Jesus. And, and, and then you can start to, if you like, take away the trainer wheels a bit and, um, and, and, and start to ride your bike and learn how to really love people. Um, and that, I think, is, is the difference between the Old and New Testament. The New Testament is the fulfillment. The, the Old Testament is the promise. And um, we need to be careful um, while affirming um, the Old Testament as God's word um, that its own pointers over time towards certain things being made obsolete, you know, like the food laws or like the civil law, you know, requiring capital punishment, etc. That uh, in Jesus, I think those things are clearly made obsolete. You can be a part of our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Robert in Albany. Hello, Robert. Welcome along to 2020. Robert. Yes, hello, uh, Neil. uh, Great to hear from you, Robert. What's your thoughts? Oh, well, I think there's several issues in play here, and that is uh, uh, one is the death penalty for carrying drugs which I don't see, you know, like I generally support the uh, view of capital punishment. One reason, you know, like I see it in the Old Testament, but one of the main reasons why I support that is the Westminster system that our country was founded on was based on the Old Testament. And it was very harsh and very, uh, but 
it, it has proved over the uh, centuries to be a way of dealing with people who are and can be uh, rebellious. And therefore, uh, therefore, and it was instituted, uh, you know, like the death penalty was instituted for the taking of life. And that's the way it's founded. Now, our society has moved away from the Westminster system, which I think has been uh, to society's detriment. Uh, well, so, I guess we're not um, talking about Australian society here because we don't have the death penalty here in Australia. What no, we're talking well, about, I guess, is the Indonesian laws as yes. they stand at well, the moment. Yeah, so, um, you know, so I suppose... Robert, let's hear from, let's hear from Gordon. Gordon, your yeah, thoughts on what Robert's saying? about the Indonesians. There's great inconsistency amongst Indonesians. Now, I really like Indonesians, and then I've been there and I've taught um, over there at one stage. But um, when Cicely uh, Bang Bang Yudhoyono, the previous president, was there, he, he got many, many Indonesians off... Uh, death sentences in places like Saudi Arabia, etc. Like there's a famous case of about a maid who was on the death, a death row there. Um, Indonesia has been quite active in relationship to its own citizens. Um, we've got to ask if there's a real inconsistency here in relationship to citizens of other countries. Now, I, I think that applies. I think Australia should stand up against, in my view, against capital punishment right across the board. But we have a particularly close relationship with the Indonesians. Um, and I, I think there are there some real problems um, in relationship to... I think there are political factors here that while the new president is relatively liberal, he's been accused of being soft. He ran against an army, former army general. And so this is one of the ways in which he's kind of trying to prove them wrong to show that he's, he's pretty strong and strongly anti-drugs. Well, you can still be strongly anti-drugs without actually killing young men who really didn't know what they were doing, um, who were really too stupid to realise the position they were putting themselves in or the consequences for themselves or for others. And so that you can maintain justice and a strong anti-drug approach without the death penalty. There's also issues about whether the death penalty is actually effective because it's like... When, when you talk about stimulus and response or crime and punishment, they're meant to go fairly close together. But when, when I was a little kid and I did something wrong and my mum would say, well, you wait till your father comes home. Well, the, by the time my father came home and I got, I got a, a smack or a belt or something or whatever, but I'd lost all sense of connection between the crime and punishment. I'd completely forgotten about it. When you have people on death row for 10 years or more, the effectiveness as a deterrent um, isn't strong. And there's, been, there's a lot of evidence in terms of it not actually being effective as a deterrent even. Thank you to Robert from Albany for your input today here on 2020. Talkback line open 1800 316 316. Let's take another call from Annie in Alice Springs. Hello, Annie. Welcome along to 2020. Hello. Annie, what are your thoughts on this issue today? Yes, uh, all right. Um, I'll give you my thoughts first, and then I'll get it from the Bible. Uh, my thoughts are, those young men, they want to put them on the death parole, because what I'm thinking now in my mind, in my heart, with all my heart is, there must be something that they can make, give them sentences some, some years to go through. Why would they want to kill them? There yep. must be something. Some, some things there that they can give them sentences, 50 years, 20 years, 30 years, that won't. 
they must have some sort of mechanism. You're saying there must be some sort of alternative mechanism to the death sentence. Yes, there must be something that they could come up with to punish them, not the death. Gordon, your thoughts on what uh, Annie yeah, is well, sharing? I think it's a good point. You know, like I think they've been in there about 10, 10 years or so um, now. And, and you know, in many ways, that would be seen as, as punishment enough. Certainly in an Australian jail, I think that would be regarded as, as, um, as more than enough punishment. And um, I think the death, the death penalty is, ex- is, is very extreme. And and it's it's it really is a denial of people's basic humanity. We're, we're seeing more and more like in American states, even though there's a lot of states still do have capital punishment, but more and more are getting rid of it because they they see the extreme cruelty of it. Like these guys are going to be shot basically through the heart, and um, and okay, it's 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 quick, but you know we're taking away their lives, and. Um, and I think it, it takes no account of the way they have actually re- rehabilitated themselves. So I don't think it really works as um, on on the scheme of, of justice itself. I don't think the punishment actually fits the crime. The punishment is too extreme for the crime. It um, it doesn't really work as a deterrent. People still go and and uh, tr- and take drugs in, and that uh, you know the, the punishment is often too distant from the crime. And uh, it doesn't take account of restorative or rehabilitative um, functions of justice. So I think it's three strikes and uh, the Indonesian decision is out on Mm, this. mm. Annie from Alice Springs, thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. Great to hear from you. And uh, look, it doesn't escape me, and I know it doesn't escape you either, Gordon, that Jesus himself, uh, the one we call Lord and Saviour, was himself a victim of capital punishment, and he was an innocent man. Uh, This is a very powerful thing, and if you were hearkening back to the scripture you mentioned earlier there in Genesis chapter 9, which was about, uh, you know, whoever sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed by man. Uh, God made man in his image, and of course all Christians are aware that the atoning power of the blood, uh, uh, believing that Christ's shed blood, shed at his execution on the cross, spares us from spiritual death ourselves uh, we recognize that there's value in his sacrifice and uh, but yes doesn't escape us that Jesus himself the victim of a uh, of a execution and a man who was innocent yeah that's a really good point you know Christ takes a capital punishment for all of us in that sense yeah for the for the whole of humanity um, you know ultimately it depends on whether we accept that for our, for ourselves but that's that's what he does and I, I think by analogy, um, we basically should leave room for mercy so that people can actually respond to what he has done in taking that capital punishment for us and dying for our sins and, and our crimes. Um, yeah. and, and reinforcing, too, what was Jesus' response, and, of course, the woman caught in adultery that you already mentioned. Jesus' response to a woman who was sentenced to capital punishment was, uh, you know, get down on the ground, uh, draw in the... Uh, in the dirt, and uh, and uh, ultimately said, you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone, and and he said to the woman, uh, go away and sin no more. Uh, a powerful response in a simple situation, but a situation where this woman was facing uh, the death penalty. Yeah, like it does seem as if if she was guilty. Now it does seem that she may have been set up, and that's how they were actually able to be present. Her accusers. 
but um, that Jesus is just kind of showing all the inconsistencies in that. You know, the, the, you know setting her up. Um, um, he, he recognizes she has actually sinned, it seems, by the, that's the implication of his words. But, but he says, you know, go, I, you know, I do not condemn you and go and sin no more. So there's, there's both the, both the, him taking, if you like, the, what was regarded as the just punishment in that society at the time. Um, like he's, that's, um, he's not condemning her now. So he's taken that away. And then there's a restorative side. Go and sin no more, and and I think we see those two things, in a sense, working out in the in the story of of Andrew and and um, Miran. Um, that yeah, they they both come to know Christ. Um, I've read read all sorts about that, uh, lots of articles over a long long time, and and they've passed that on to other people, and they've protected other people. They've they've educated other people, they've done all sorts of things. So the restoration, the evidence of that, the going and sinning no more, is obviously there in their lives. That's right, that evidence, uh, clear. Look, down to about a minute and a half away from news, uh, time to take a, uh, one more very quick call. Hilda is in Hampton Park in Victoria. Hello, Hilda, welcome along. Yes. Hilda, you'll need to be Hi, very quick. Yes. Um, um, actually, um, uh, there's, no, there's no justice by uh, taking a life. Um, you're not going to bring uh, uh, the wrong right. So the Indonesian government is not proving any point. And the drug uh, uh, business is still continuing. And so I think that being Christian, you know, uh, we are created in the image of God. And... Um, Hilda, I'm going to have to cut you short, but thank you so much for your contribution today and uh, some good points there. And uh, uh, along the lines of what we've been saying here, Gordon, uh, not a lot yeah, of evidence to suggest there's a deterrent in this death penalty. Uh, look, we no. are so short a time, I really haven't even got time to, to hear your thoughts on what Hilda was sharing. Uh, Gordon, just to reiterate... Uh, Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, earlier we heard of some candlelight vigils that are being held by Amnesty International. They're obviously uh, on the side of uh, the two who are on death row. And I know, Gordon, you fall on the side of a biblical response which says, mercy, mercy, mercy. And uh, Gordon Priest, Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society, thanks for being with us today on 2020. Thanks very much, Sam. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.